0: If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder funds (ASX ticker symbols G two hundred and GHHF) offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses. So read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. Betashares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Borgent, author and
1: buyer's agent.
2: I'm Amy Linardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together,
0: we'll take you through every step of your property journey.
1: From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Two Cents episode of the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Wardgen and I'm here with Batesy. Chris, how's your week been?
2: Pete, life's good here, mate. Um, poor boy was in hospital last week again with RSV, which wasn't great, but um, no, we're all doing well. It's lots going on with um, a new rebrand and a whole merge going on, which is launching next week. So that's keeping me busy and um yeah, it's, uh, it's been a bit of an interesting start to the property market, I would say. There's definitely some urgency there and um, buyers are absolutely trying to transact. Um, but, you know, we just saw in the AFR today, some suburbs have got ridiculously low supply and other suburbs have quite a lot of supply um, and listings. And so depending on where you're looking in the in Australia, it's, it's lots of different stories. So how have you been? What's been happening on the ground um, up in British Way?
1: Yeah, sorry to hear about the uh, family issues. Hopefully that gets uh, fixed up. Uh, we've had some crook kids as well, actually, mm. past week or two, different different issues, uh, migraines and whatever else. So, yeah, right. it's all been happening. Um, yeah, so, well, yeah, Brisbane is really firing this year, uh, just low stock levels. Um, yeah, we've got over 20 live engagements. So all of our buyers' agents just flat out, basically. Um, I, I did see, though... Um, Uh, Owen was saying during the week that um, he's been tracking some properties down in Mornington and Mm. um, just not achieving the same prices from a year or two ago. I think there's various reasons. Um, I think uh, land tax has been an issue for people with second homes in Victoria or investment properties. And uh, I think as well, there were some wild prices being paid at the peak of the frenzy as people were getting out of Melbourne and maybe that's reversed a bit. So Yeah, It's a bit of a mixed story around the country, I guess, but certainly uh, Brisbane and Perth and some other parts of the market are are really pumping up and big auction clearance rates in Sydney on the weekend. So um, yeah, maybe a bit of a downer in Victoria at the moment. I think uh, various reasons, I think uh, land tax issues and uh, yes, uh, net debt levels at the the state uh, level have been very high and uh, I guess quite a few sort of anti-landlord policies I guess that are, are just um, creating some issues down there but I guess the demand is so high for rental property that it's got to come from somewhere so yeah all, all happening.
2: And I think that's a lot about our episode today right Pete? So um, obviously if you haven't tuned in before 7am on a Sunday we hit your uh, podcast player um, and you can enjoy your Sunday coffee with us if, if you choose. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we usually cover three stories. So what are the three stories we're going to cover this, Pete? Because they do link into that Victoria um, and this whole discussion around zoning and how that affects supply and demand. So what are we going to chat about?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So the first story this week, office assets tanking globally. So this is something that's really rumbling along all around the world um, with the shift towards working from home. Um, so we're seeing some enormous declines in office valuations in some of the global markets, Canada, US. I think Australia has been somewhat insulated so far, maybe by high population growth, but I guess there'll be some write downs in the post. So We'll take a look at what's going on there and whether there's some risk of uh, bank loans going bad and possible contagion. Uh, Secondly, yes, Victoria's land tax and various other bits and pieces happening down in Melbourne and Victoria we'll take a look at. And then thirdly, um, another keenly contested debate on uh, zoning. So Auckland has been in the news over recent years, having upzoned a huge part of its housing market um, to allow more housing supply, and that's a, an ongoing debate which will have repercussions, I guess, for uh, I guess for policy in Australia. So um, I guess that debate is um, an ongoing one that hasn't been won. I think sometimes it's it's a multifaceted issue. It's not as simple as. Uh, fix the zoning, fix the housing market, so to speak. But so we'll take a look at what's been going on in New Zealand, uh, where interest rates may still be going up, it seems. So uh, Mm. some challenges for NZ. So let's start with this um, uh, first story on the uh, office valuations, Uh, Chris. So just um, been following Grant Williams, who's a friend of mine um, from previously with Real Vision these days doing his own thing. And he's um, got this hashtag going called Commercial Break. And there's lots of stories around the world of office sales at enormous discounts, Toronto and Denver. Uh, look, in China, there's all kinds of real estate issues as well and major concerns. And I guess the, the general thinking here is that uh, the risk that plummeting office valuations could lead to bad bank loans and then contagion around the world. And I guess, you know, so far it seems to have been contained. But if you look at some of the bank's share prices, they've really tumbled Um, And I was just wondering whether any potential repercussions for Australia here. I did see uh, this week uh, in Germany, uh, office valuations have really collapsed, weak economy there as well. And uh, the Deutsche Fund brief bank as well, since I've done uh, German or lived in Germany, but um, I saw their their stock price is down from 15 euros pre-COVID to about 450 today. So you can see what's happening with some huge write downs and provisions of losses on loans and they're a provider of commercial real estate finance. So I guess um, yeah, that could be um, a bellwether for the wider market. Uh, so, do you think any potential knock-on impacts to Australia? I guess our office valuations could face similar issues.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's happening. I mean, if you had a commercial property fund and you had a big exposure to offices, um, then yeah, you're probably feeling a bit of pain right now, right? Because unless it was a triple A Great asset. You're probably finding your issues renting it out if your leases are finishing, and um, or if they are going to extend them. You know, the people are saying, well, "I've got a lot of choice right now. I want to get myself a good deal, or I need the office to be upgraded because I could go to something nice and fresh that's fully kitted out." Um, we're actually in this camp at the moment ourselves, so I'm getting a really good exposure to the North Sydney um, commercial market. We're looking for a, a decent size office space, and um, yeah, anything that's old. Um, is getting upgraded or it's just no chance of getting leased. And if it's getting upgraded and it's old, it's usually quite expensive and, you know, and even they aren't really renting out even if it's upgraded unless it's got an amazing sort of foyer and a great cafe and then it's really kitted out. So we could um basically rent something huge uh discounts in terms of the way that they structure it in terms of incentives for us to sign a lease at a higher rent and they give you a big discount it's it's funny this whole world um you know they might even pay for a kid out for us and they can depreciate that off because they've already they've had to spend that money to to rent it out so it's a it's a really interesting space um i think if you had that brand new triple a asset that's you know got the view and it ticks all the boxes and it's in the best part of town and um it's one of the better floors in those buildings then i think they're fine to rent but even those best towers we're finding that they're not leasing um you know the the, the poorer floors in there they, they can't lease so it shows that um the demand isn't that strong and i guess the contagion effect we've all got memories of the gfc and when a credit crisis and banks go hang on a sec how much exposure have you got to this how much have you got and you know if bank finance starts to freeze up then capital becomes more expensive if capital becomes more expensive then it it goes, it puts more pressure on businesses and households and um, and you can't expand your businesses and you're more likely to lead to a recession and things like that. So, I mean, ultimately in Australia, it's who's holding the commercial real estate and can they afford to hold that through higher vacancies? You know, a super fund might say, well, that's fine. We've got lots of industrial that's doing really well. We've got lots of, you know, potential retail that's doing well and, um, you know, farmland or agriculture, depending on how they're bucketing together. And so, I would say, you know, if someone's got a lot of exposure to the office market, then yeah, they might be in some trouble. And I think there has been some fund freezes. I think there's some redemptions where, um, yeah, you could have taken your money out a year ago, but now you can only take out a little bit or none at all because ultimately those funds can put um, a freeze on redemptions because they can't, haven't got the liquidity to, to fund that um, and they've got the right to do that. And so that's can be a challenge for investing in commercial real estate and REITs and things like that where they can um, you know freeze the access to the money so that would be my concern here now whether that leads into a, a global crisis it really depends on how big it gets um, but the odd sale and the odd bad loss here and there it doesn't really matter in my you know my books I think there's always I can write that off against bank profits but it's really if it's a really big issue and it spreads to a recession and other asset classes that people go hang on a sec um, I don't want to you know lose all my money if I don't pull it out, and then you get this sort of flight to to cash. and then that really forces people to sell and take fire sale prices. So, yeah, I think I don't think it's going to get to that stage personally, but I think there's a pressure to go back into the office. and I think people are wanting to go back to the office as well and um, rather than everyone wanting to stay working from home.
1: I think um yes, the u s. Uh, Treasury secretary Janet Yellen uh, said this week she had some concerns about. Um, the exposures of some of the banks to commercial real estate, and she said she believes it's manageable, but some institutions are quite stressed by the problem. I guess uh, with anyone anyway, with memories of the uh, the global financial crisis would have uh, sent shivers down the spine talking about the old uh, you know it's subprime being contained sort of vibes about it. And I, mm. I think um, even just in the past week, we've seen the New York Community Bancorp uh, stock price was down about sixty percent. Uh, last week, Japan's Ozora Bank, um, huge annual losses there with uh, also uh, Zurich, Julius Baer, big losses. Um, where else have we had? Um, yeah, well, yeah, basically all all around, especially in Germany, uh, with some big exposures to US real estate. So I think that's really the concern is if, if this starts snowballing um, into sort of bank contagion. I, I think within Australia, I mean, funnily enough, we've been looking – some office space in Brisbane um, Mm. with prices down. Uh, I think, um, yes, as you said, I mean, if you think back to the apartment oversupply in Brisbane six or seven years ago, what happened? Rents fell a bit. People were forced to upgrade the quality of the stock to get it leased out. And eventually we worked through it. Um, I think with Australia running record population growth, um, there's a general move back towards the office, even if it's not full time. I think domestically we'll work our way through those issues. Um, there's certainly not much office space being constructed, and some will get converted, I suppose, to towards residential or other uses. Um, but yeah, I guess it's more just a global one to watch. You know, what happens if some of these um, banks start uh, reporting massive losses, and then, as you say, uh, people start worrying about who's holding the bag, and it becomes a contagion. Um, because yeah, I mean that's something we saw. Uh, 15 years ago or so, and um, yeah, Australia's banks these days are among the best capitalized in the world, if not the best capitalized. But uh, globally, well, I mean, this is the thing, right? There's been a shift away from the office, and and there's going to be some big losses to to absorb, and definitely one that policymakers will
2: have to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's always a story though where people can latch on and say X, Y, Z is going to lead to Y, um, you know, in the in the property market, and so. I think there's always, you know, issues around the world. I would say this is not going to be a, a huge one in my view. I think it's, you know, if, if for some banks that maybe got an overexposure, but I don't think it's a widespread, you know, commercial issue because a lot of these funds are, are doing well in other parts of the commercial market, right? So they usually got diversified funds. Maybe their infrastructure in the, um, is doing well versus their offices, for example.
1: Certainly, I think people are more attuned to the risks after uh, 2007, 8, 9, but uh, yeah, there could be some pain there. So let's have a look at this second story, Victoria land tax woes and other bits and pieces going on down there. So Victoria in the 2024 state budget recorded a big rise in net debt and particularly interest expenses in the state budget have exploded higher as interest rates trending higher as well. And I think um obviously the state will be looking to find ways to balance the books over the next few years and partly that's through taxing landholders and even now uh, properties with relatively low land values are going to get captured by the new annual tax. Um so I was wondering whether this might cause some property investors to look at other states and in turn therefore rental shortages for Melbourne. I know Melbourne is looking quite seriously at bill to rent solutions. I was interested to see uh, late last year, one of Australia's leading property buyers agencies, Propertyology, announcing it would just boycott investment in the state of Victoria, um, with the, no, not because of the rising uh, debt or the lockdowns or anything like that, but more just because of um, a series of policies that have just made it harder for property owners and for investors. So for annual taxes, also things like uh, changing in tenant rights and just a general, I suppose, sort of anti-investor vibe down there. Um, I think you've got Victorian property like I do, uh, Chris. Are you seeing any potential issues there?
2: Uh, I mean, um, you know, I guess with Simon saying that, you know, he's going to boycott uh, Victoria, I potentially say, well, what is going to, it's not going to change the owner occupier demand in Victoria. So, yeah, investors might not be buying down there. It doesn't mean it hasn't got strong owner occupier demand. And that's what drives the market. Um, so, you know, if, if a lot of investors are buying, you know, apartments and which they generally do, and, you know, you're going to say that oh, that's not generally what you want to buy anyway, you know, what you want to own is things that are driven by the owner-occupier market down there. And so, um, if people are more like funny, harder to rent, then they're going to be forced to buy, right? If there is a rental crisis in the future, then that's going to force people more and more to buy. And so... To be honest, I think another reason why people aren't going to invest in Victoria is the returns down there haven't been as good as other states. Um, you know, part of that I would say because of the overbuilding that they had, um, much more than other states and the more relaxed planning controls to build apartments. And so, you know, people in Melbourne should be sort of thankful for that. They're not seeing as rents skyrocket and they're not seeing prices skyrocket as high um, because they have been building um, at a faster rate than other states. And so um, ultimately, though, uh, you would like to say that. I think that Melbourne's probably not a bad bet. You know, when you look at the other states, they're getting a big run-up in prices um, and you would say that Melbourne hasn't. So if, for example, borrowing capacities go down and rates get cut, it's still got very strong interstate migration. It's still got great overseas migration. It's still a mega city and it's getting its mojo back in the city. Um, So, uh, and it's still got really uh, restricted housing supply, maybe not apartments, um, maybe not new townhouses, but the housing market down there, I think, still got very strong fundamentals. And um, I would say that, yeah, because it hasn't gone up as much is also a reason why it's becoming more affordable, particularly if rates go back down. Um, and because it hasn't boomed as much as the other states, particularly over the last three or four years. Um, and so boycotting, you know, Victoria over these sort of policies. Yeah, okay, they're anti-investor, but that don't say them doesn't mean they're anti-owner occupier in my books. And I would say the owner occupier market, particularly the affluent aspiring market, um, well, if they go into a rental crisis, well, they're going to buy. They're more likely to buy. So I think it's it's not the end of the world if you're buying great properties down there.
1: There's certainly an equilibrium thing, isn't there? Where no, no one of the capital cities continually outperforms. It, and in fact, if you go back over a number of decades, the performance is much more similar than different. And I guess yeah. that reflects, um, like we've seen in Western Australia in recent times. You know, the cheapest capital city became Perth, and then more people will look at Perth. You know, it's just the way it sort of balances itself out over time. And I think even mathematically, it wouldn't make sense for one capital city to keep outperforming because if you project that out over a very long period of time the numbers quite quickly get stupid uh so yeah if you're going to invest in victoria a couple of things to watch out for annual land tax even for relatively low value properties um going forward and also short stay accommodation um the um change to the tax on rental income down there so yeah just uh, and obviously vacant properties as well was another thing that got targeted so there lots of ways that Victoria is looking to balance the books because um, there, there was a, I mean, obviously one of the longest lockdowns globally, but also um, the, the, the budget was already on a, a, a sort of pretty ordinary trajectory and net debt has really um, skyrocketed there. I think um, if you think back, it's uh, not so long ago, New South Wales had its own issues and addressed that through asset sales and some other uh, policy changes. So um, yeah, not a uh, irreversible and nothing too much to worry about, but there will be um, some changes uh, to keep an eye on down there. So, Chris, third story this week. But I mean, um, just Auckland. on that, while
2: we're there, sorry, mm. um, the the around the uh, where it could make an issue is you know which we we're talking about at the start of this podcast around Mornington Peninsula, right? So that that because they've taxed vacant homes, which a lot of people have got them vacant, are um, uh, their second homes. Um, And secondly, there's a huge land tax on sort of investors, right? So, you know, the person who had their, you know, house in Brighton or Hawthorne um, and then they had their weekender down at Sorrento or Portsea or, you know, Mount Martha, et cetera, Mount Eliza, um, those type of situations less desirable, right? Um, And so if it's not going to be your mate, your home, then is it worthwhile having an investment property down there? Or if you're going to have vacancy tax and you have huge land tax bills and things like that. So that's where I do think it's really, and, and also the Airbnb is targeting that market as well. Um, but counter cyclical. Um, you'd like to say that's getting factored into prices right now because more likely people are saying, well, if I've got to pay this over the next 10 years, I might as well just get rid of it. So you're probably seeing a bit more stock on the market now um, and people offloading because of this tax change. Um, rather than offloading in five years and paid all this tax and so i would say you know kind of cyclical you probably got better buying down there and that's when you'd want to buy down there because you wouldn't want to buy down in uh, mornington peninsula in 2021 market when it was chaos and everyone was trying to escape melbourne the other point to that is we've actually had a couple of clients in in the last month or so that have moved to melbourne um that are sydney-siders um that have gone look i can't afford to get what i want in sydney I've got strong family ties back in Melbourne. I do like it down there. I like the people. I like the, the culture. Um, and, yeah, I prefer to live in Sydney, but I'm going to get myself a nice two-bed apartment. Um, and, uh, I, you know, for that money down in Melbourne, I get myself a really nice house. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and and work prospects are really strong. The Melbourne economy is not, for example, like, you know, other cities where maybe it's a little bit heavily weighted to certain industries. It's a very big, broad um, you know, employment hub down there. And so a lot of people can get just as good job opportunities in Melbourne as they can in Sydney, for example. So they're not taking a job hit um, and they can get housing affordability. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty, uh, to say anti-Victoria is a pretty big call uh, when I actually think it's one of the strongest cities in the country and has proven that over the long term. So, uh, but I would say it's absolutely more towards the housing market down there because of the relaxed planning controls. Um and more the the inner ring where it's true scarcity. Um, yeah, is that sort of what lines up to your thoughts, Pete, or are you a bit different?
1: It is, yeah. I mean, it was, um, yeah, I mean, when you look at it, if you project the numbers out long-term, Melbourne is expected to be by far the largest city in Australia, massive population growth, which we've actually seen over the past decade anyway. Um, I think, yes, there's always pockets where you'll get overbuilding. Now we, we saw that in the previous cycle. And I guess with Bill to Rent, we'll say that again. I think, yes, it was it was Owen's tweet that uh, caught my eye. Um, he, he said, went down to a few opens this week on the peninsula. He said, all of the seven real estate agents were struggling to sell properties at one firm that had only one unconditional bid in 12 months and all but one property had cut down listing prices. He noted one where the price had fallen from 2.9 million 14 months ago. Uh, to 1.75 to 1.95 asking price. Now, in context, if you haven't been following some of these things, uh, for those of us who live regionally, there was a period there during the lockdowns where people were just buying stuff without even visiting it um, because, well, there were restrictions on travel. There was a mad frenzy to try and buy stuff coastally or out of the city. And uh, we saw the same thing, Sunshine Coast, where stuff would be listed and then sold without even people inspecting the property. And now we're seeing uh, the heat go right out of that, uh, plus the land taxes and vacancy taxes haven't helped. So I think you're right, though. um, If you stick to the fundamentals, uh, Melbourne's got enormous population growth projected, um, record population growth right now, in fact. And um, it's a time when uh, building approvals for Victoria at the lowest level in over a decade. So um, I think the fundamentals for... Uh, sort of mi- middle-ring suburban housing are very, very strong. It's just uh, you got to be a bit careful about what you do.
2: Yeah, and I think what we're seeing in Sydney is people are absolutely going back to Central Coast and North of Wollongong again. Um, in 2024, we sort of said it cooled off in 23, but they're already thinking in 2024. I'm not going to have much luck to get what I want around the city, um, and I've got really strong competition. And should I should I miss this? window before rates start to get cut and and do I go, well, I've I've tried to buy an apartment and then actually no, I've missed out on that. And then I have to go to Central Coast anyway. And so I would say the herd's already starting to shift into Central Coast and North and we'll go again. Um and I would say probably the same in in Brisbane Pete. So higher prices in the capital city, the the sort of ripple effect forces people to make compromises. And so if they can't get what they want where they want to live, then they look at alternatives, right? Um, and so in Brisbane, you're probably seeing people start to escape up to where you are up around Noosa. You're starting to see probably people escape a bit further south down to Gold Coast um, because they're missing out in the Brisbane market. Um and they're saying, well, I want to get something that really suits my family. I can't live in the area in Brisbane I want to be, but where other in, in Australia, that's commutable. Um, and so the, thing, the same thing will happen in Melbourne, you know. Once that market really starts to run um, in the inner rings, people will go, well, I've got flexibility with work. I love it down there. I've been going down there since I was a kid. Um, I can probably make it work two days a week from the Mornington Peninsula. I can get a great house that's affordable down there and it's got good schools and... Um, and I've got, you know, friends that have gone down there. I'm going to move down to Mornington. And the market will shift from heavily weighted to second home, sort of holiday market, into a true housing market, which is kind of what was happening in 2021. This would might be three or four or five years away, but that's what I would see for the Mornington Peninsula is that, you know, I guess, um, yeah, maturity becoming more of a holiday. A, a, a home or a forever home location rather than a second home location. So,
1: Certainly seeing that Sunshine Coast, yeah, it's not just holiday homes these days. It's people actually living up there and, um, you know, lifestyle. So, yeah, let's crack on then. Third story, the Auckland upzoning debate. So there's been this ongoing debate between economists about the upzoning in Auckland from some years ago. It seemed to be a success initially, but now rental crisis is back in the news. Rents are rising up about 5% over the past year and back at record highs for Auckland. So it'll be interesting to see what the outcome will be from this and who wins the debate because there'll be some implications for Sydney and Melbourne policy going forward. I I think um, there was an interesting story in stuff.co.nz with real estate agents saying they off-the-plan sales have dried up to basically zero in Auckland. I think people are once bitten, twice shy Uh, Leith uh, van Onselen a Macro Business wrote a slightly incendiary article article saying sort of um, so much for the upzoning, fixing the housing market in Auckland um, because uh, rapid immigration is overwhelming, um, overwhelming the housing supply. I think that this is my take on it, Chris. I I think there is um, some of the economists are sort of saying, well, you fix fix, um, zoning reform. And you fix the housing market a bit like the old Bitcoin thing fix the money fix the world um in my experience um certainly we've seen this in Brisbane I think I think the zoning and uh supply parts of the reform that is one piece of the puzzle but there's definitely a cyclical element to this too I think um if you look at Brisbane there's no shortage of places where you could build tower blocks and units um but what happened in the previous cycle is, we got an overbuild, uh, rent started falling, people got very twitchy. And then the developers very quickly just sold off their excess uh, sites. Um, the big developers, the sort of Mervac and the Lendlease and those sorts of guys at the big end of town, they just sold off their, some of their development sites, places like Newstead where there was big overbuild. And then population growth eventually absorbed the excess stock and and rents are actually up over 50% now in three years asking rents for Units in Brisbane, so I think, um, no doubt. I think over the long run, uh, an upzoning um, across the city would would actually sort of bring a new equilibrium, I suppose, where rents uh, and prices would be lower than would otherwise be the case. But I still think there's a cyclical element to all this as well, and it's multifaceted, I guess, is my take.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh it's an interesting one to follow, to be honest, because. You know, this is something similar to what you would argue that Chris Mins in New South Wales is starting to push. You know, a, a real up zoning or a total up zoning across our city is what the the Yimbies want, I, I guess, across Sydney. And if that's at the, uh, you know, not, not the consequence of nature and you know, and trees and things like that, they definitely want to keep um, you know the city green, but they don't mind if you know a beautiful heritage house gets knocked over uh, within reason. Um, and so. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's what I think the real debate is in Sydney at the moment, is if Sydney is going to grow its population dramatically over the next few decades, um, then and if that's likely to be our policy at a national level, then we need to start to create housing supply. And in areas where typically we wouldn't create it before, you know, yet we can still create more high-rise, high-density towers, we can make them even higher, um, and we can open up more and more pockets across the city for more high-density Or do we make it more mass rezoning around train stations? And, um, yeah, maybe they're not 15, 20 storeys high, but maybe they're six to eight storeys wide high. And maybe there's, um, you know, approved designs for townhouses and and low density that can be uh, rolled out much faster through planning reforms. And um, so I think that, you know, ultimately, though, I do think that is a big part of the story is the restriction on supply. It does give, particularly at the older end of the, the market, I think if we could... Release a lot of supply that suited downsizers. I do think we could see them move out of their houses a bit more because uh, if, if the accommodation was there for them to move into them because it really suited their lifestyle, you know, around the local shops and the train station and bigger apartments so the grandkids can come and maybe garden apartments so they can have a dog and, um, you know, very low density with great privacy, um, uh, then I think that people would downsize from a house, the maintenance and the hassle of, owning the house Um, unfortunately a lot of people just stay in there because they can't find an alternative and so um, yeah I'm a massive for rezoning but you can see here it does affect prices right so um, you know I think Auckland's prices didn't go up as much as you know other parts in the country and so you know people can't have their cake and eat it they can't say more supply usually and higher prices there will be a usually a softening on prices particularly of what they're building right so if they're building you already own an apartment, they're going to build more apartments, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that um, more supply might not be a good thing if you own in that area. So, um, yeah, that's my take on it, Pete. I do think it's part of the overall solution to um, our longer, growing our population long term, which is going to lead to housing affordability crisis, a rental crisis, mortgage affordability crisis, Um so but we it's not the only thing you can't just change zoning and then think oh our housing problems are solved you've got to think about demand you've got to think about you know funding for builders you've got to think about lots of other things
1: that's right. It's it's interesting to follow the debate. It can get quite snarky sometimes. And, uh, yeah, there's um, definitely there's a reticence to talk about immigration and population growth, which is obviously one of the factors. Um, it seems supply and demand is always a thing in economics, except when it comes to housing markets for some reason. It seems to be off limits, that part of the debate. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I think population growth will find, it, find its own level again uh, once the international students are all back up and running. Um, yeah, I think that there has been an issue in Brisbane in recent years. Howard McLean pointed this out on socials, on Twitter this week, actually, with the townhouse ban in some of the inner suburbs. But I think it's, it would be quite um, wild, I think, if we were here six or seven years ago to be thinking. Um, that Brisbane would be talking about a lack of places to build because we had such an oversupply of units for a while there. There was units going up all over the place in so many of the um, inner suburbs in particular. Uh, And I think just looking ahead, if you look at places like Hamilton, North Shore, we could get 15,000, 20,000 people in there. There's no shortage of places to build uh, medium density, but you do need the demand. And I do wonder whether at some point whether... um, uh, non-resident buyers might be allowed back into the market. They're currently more or less taxed out of the market and they do tend to be a driver of new supply. So, yeah, at the moment anyway, it's not happening. And um, I guess the the sort of next big build might be a couple of years away um, because at the moment, uh, building approvals are running around the 10, 12-year lows. So, yeah, but uh, overall, I guess, Chris, the, the housing market off to a surprisingly buoyant start. This is something you picked a few months ago. I guess there's that pent-up demand over the um, last couple of months where people have been busy doing other things and now people are starting to look and stock levels are still pretty low overall and uh, certainly in pockets of the market, it's pretty hot.
2: Yeah, I mean, all the big uh, research houses were predicting a real slowdown at the start of this year and um, you know, we, we didn't really see that from a mortgage point of view. We didn't see that buyers were thinking, hang hey, on so a I don't really want to buy anymore. Prices are too high and rates are too high we thought there's still a pent-up demand issue and people have still got rental crisis and they still want to buy. They just um, have, either haven't got the capacity right now or they're working on their income or maybe they're getting so, asking for some inheritance or whatever it might be. Um, and I think they're now starting to flip again, you know, because they're starting to see listings stay really low, which makes sense, right, um, and demand to be surprisingly higher um, in February. And this is usually the story we see is that, over Christmas, January, more and more people come to, to get financed because part of their goals for this year is to finally enter the market and they come back with a new force. Um, and it's always when there's a lag of stock on the market because no one really lists a property after you know, middle of November. It's pretty, it's pretty silly to start listing in December or anything like that because um, you don't want your property to get stale on the market for two or three months. Um, but yeah, and then they get some good results at the start of February, Pete, and then everyone starts going hang on a sec market's moved and it's moved quite a bit over that five you know over that period well yeah, on a monthly basis doesn't look that much but when you're comparing prices from three months ago to now you go actually it's moved quite a bit and that then kicks into a bit of a FOMO and um, particularly if there's some other momentum in the market like some better news because time can either go both ways and I would say the last three months the news has got better rather than worse Um, you know the interest rate expectations are much uh, lower now than they were three months ago and so um yeah that's what we're seeing uh i guess on the ground now we're just saying that there's FOMO and there's prices are going to keep running there's an affordability challenge because of lower interest rates but you know that can also start to shift rate cuts borrowing capacity can go up with APRA you can see tax cuts you can see more and more people switching jobs and worker mobility leading to higher borrowing capacities Um, and uh, you can also see more and more intergenerational wealth. Um, I can see the the bank of grandma and granddad is starting to become more and more of a thing for our clients rather than just mum and dad. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this year plays out. And ultimately, though, I think our turnover rate is going to become more and more a part of the conversation. Um, you know, A lot of people blame it on stamp duty. Oh, people don't upgrade their home because of stamp duty and selling costs. No, they don't upgrade their home because they can't. Uh, they would even they would take the the stamp duty hit if they could still afford to do it Um, they can't afford to borrow the money and they can't afford the mortgage right and so they're stuck Um, they don't want to downsize because they still need the three bedrooms and they'd love a fourth bedroom they'd love parking they'd love a study but to do that jump is so large not just the stamp duty cost Um, and even if you had no stamp duty it doesn't mean yeah you would create more demand but that's not the reason people aren't upgrading and so Um, I think this turnover rate discussion is going to get more and more interesting over the coming years.
1: Definitely. I saw there was a news article this week saying stamp duty is five times higher than a few decades ago, which is probably a precursor to uh, some proposed tax reform, I guess. um, I think the Labor Party is under some pressure to deliver uh, something in terms of tax reform, and some of that will impact the housing market. So main stories this week, office assets tanking globally, definitely one to watch here, commercial uh, real estate under pressure as more people are working from home these days and um, some of those big office towers aren't full. Um, so at some risk potentially, uh, bank losses and maybe contagion. So that's one to watch. Uh, in Victoria, a bit of a rebalancing happening, I guess, from coastal markets back into the city to some level. Uh, some price drops in the coastal markets like on the peninsula, as Aaron pointed out. And then thirdly, an ongoing debate about upzoning. I think this will be a big uh, part of the housing market story over the next decade for particularly for Sydney and Melbourne I think uh, lots of talk about allowing um, more supply and less nimbyism so uh, that's definitely an ongoing debate to watch um, so if you want to catch me my daily blog Pete Warden blogspot or au. if you're interested in buying a property um always happy to have a chat and Chris um, uh, you, are you guys still at Blasco are you having a rebrand now?
2: Oh, the rebrand's going to come up for the next couple of weeks. Everyone will hear about that. Um, yeah, it's quite big news in the the broken world, if I can say so myself. Um, but, um, yeah, looking forward to announcing that. But absolutely, if you just jump in the show notes, the team are, are ready. We've had a couple of new uh, team members join in the last few weeks. So that's opened up a whole new market of private banking for our clients, which is awesome, um, you know, private banking specialists. So, um, yeah, get in contact in the show notes and we'd love to help. And, yeah. Uh, Wish everyone a good Sunday. Happy Sunday and um, hopefully it's nice and sunny. Cheers, Chris. Take it easy. See you, mate. See you later. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify?
0: And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in
1: contact with us.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalised to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS Podcasts. Thanks again for listening.